From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. Hey everybody, uh, Tim Perkins, uh, Assistant Chief of Operations in the South. I've got uh, Chief Shane Sherwood here with me. And uh, we were uh, going to start off with our first podcast for 2024 with uh, a list of our priorities. And uh, well, probably about three weeks ago now, we all we sat down in the Operations Bureau and we listed what the priorities were going to be for 2024. And so we wanted to share a few of those uh, with you guys and uh, just briefly talk about a few of them, what, what you kind of expect throughout the year. And um, additionally, I've got uh, Battalion Chief Mike Summers and Battalion Chief Neil McCann here. They're going to uh, talk about one of our priorities, uh, which is a uh, command and control handbook and a new SOP. And we'll get to them in, here in a minute. Uh, but first off, Shane and I wanted to talk about a uh, memo that will be coming out. It's the out-of-county memo. Uh, if you recall, back in August of last year, uh, Chief McGovern sent out a memo that talked about out-of-county assignments changing from a 14-day assignment to a seven-day assignment. And the reason for that was to be able to have our personnel go out to fires, uh, be able to rotate at seven days, knowing that uh, there's there's family commitments. It's during the summertime, you know, oftentimes, and and wanted to get folks back um, back home and not be out, you know, for so long. One of the things that we found out is there was there was a lot of personnel that liked liked the idea of the change. That seven days uh, met their their family requirements and, and can see themselves going out for seven versus the 14 days. But the other thing that we found out was uh, there was a lot of personnel that bid to the type three stations that wanted to go out for 14. Yeah. Yeah. To 14 days. And, um, and we, and we agree. So one of the changes that you're going to see in the, in the new out of County memo that's coming out here shortly is um, uh, Shane and I um, are allowing for either. So maybe you just kind of highlight a little bit on, yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, all of us have things going on in our personal lives. And I think the the, the place we're going to land with those SOPs uh, provides the flexibility between a 14 and 7. Uh, we won't get into all the details of what that looks like or how that gets accomplished. But I think we are in the right spot because we need folks to go out and get wildland experience. Those 14-day assignments definitely brings all that experience back to OCFA, which is critical uh, for us to continue to to respond and be you know efficient and uh, uh, and proficient out in uh, the wildland environment, and then at the same time, it could be July fourth, and we're sending a strike team out, and seven days might meet ninety five percent of our folks need to be back in seven days in order because they have plans through you know with the families and all that stuff. So I think where we landed is perfect. There's some flexibility that's going to be allowed between a fourteen day uh, or seven day assignment uh, for all of our folks. Yeah, I, I agree. As a wildland firefighting agency, um, we need we need to have our firefighters have the experience, and relying on just experience in county is not enough. Correct. So, we need folks to go out of county get that experience. You know, the personnel that participate on our IMT three and those those folks that are in the IROC system that go out of county and get that experience and then bring it back here. So when we do get um, our in-county fires, um, we're able to perform. So, uh, everybody will see that here soon. Another, uh, you know, priority that, uh, we're going to be working on is a uh, standards of cover, uh, which simply, uh, falls under chief Whitaker, but it really takes a look at, um, kind of our operational footprint. 
Um, we know that we're getting busier. We know that units continue to run more calls. And the question that comes up is how many calls do I need to run before we see another medic unit or another truck company? We know that we're truck light in a lot of areas. So the standards of cover is going to help provide some data, be able to run some models. The last time we did this was in 2018. Right. And we've gotten busier. We didn't have Battalion 11. We didn't have Garden Grove. And so now we've got, you know, more more to kind of work with. And so for us in 2024, um, we'll be taking a look at um, what, what that looks like and, and where do we need to make our changes. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a it's an opportunity to look at a bunch of different pieces to that. How many calls is too many? How many utilization hours is too many? Do we need to go to all the calls the same way? Do we do so? We want to look at all of it. Is you know, um, you know, do we need more truck companies? The answer, simple answer to that, I think, is yes. Um, but do how do we how do we help the the, the station twenty ones? How do we help the station twenty twos? All those units that continually get busier and busier. Uh, we want to look at that and we want to figure out how do we best respond to that. Um, so I think it's an opportunity to look at it holistically and look at multiple. This isn't a single uh, you know, issue that can be answered with a single solution. There's multiple issues and there's multiple solutions, I think, that we're going to be faced with. So we're looking forward to that. I think it's it's definitely timely and, uh, and, and more to come on that. But we definitely are looking at that and want to uh, want to make sure that we're addressing that's a priority for, for both you and I, Tim. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that we've been kind of talking about that's actually kind of wrapping up and finishing is um, kind of what we're t- we, we've been kind of calling a mobilization plan. Historically, if, if you look at our in-county vegetation fires or when we have a lot of fires, you know, throughout the region and, you know, back in oh, 2003 when we had all the fires, you know, throughout the regions and we send out multiple, multiple strike teams. Um, 2007, we had the Santiago fire. Uh, in 2008, the freeway fire, and then you fast forward the Silverado, the bonfire, right? The Blue Ridge. And so the mobilization plan is, is, um, we stood up a committee last year and really taking what we learned and know, uh, in the, in the USAR FEMA side of things is when we get an activation, it's very scripted. It's very planned on how do we get personnel, resources, equipment out the door in a timely fashion. So what Shane and I were working on uh, last year is when we get a vegetation fire and um, we're moving strike teams out to the incident and we need to backfill the stations and we've, and we're recalling all the personnel um, being able to coordinate that. So it's efficient. Uh, we've got good accountability for our personnel, our equipment, and they've, they put together uh, something that we're going to, you know, trial here in the first quarter but I think if you recall when the memo went out for the relief status on why it's it's critical to know where our uh, pieces of equipment are on a daily basis and that relief status page. And, you know, Shannon, you, you put a lot of effort into putting that back on everybody's priority by 10 a.m. So maybe kind of talk about what we've done so far and then how we're going to get it across the finish line and implement this new plan. For sure. So, so the mobilization plan is coming and we're going to, we're going to exercise that. And as Tim alluded to, it, it is scripted. It's process that's well known, especially on the USAR side. And we want to do exactly the same thing on, on that, on the wildland side. So once the process is established through this mobilization plan, everybody will have an understanding, Hey, vegetation fires happening. They're upstaffing due to how many units are being out. And everybody knows, Hey, this is how it's going to play. Cause it plays this way every time because i think over the years 
depending on who was in the DOC or who was responsible, what division chief was doing what, there was a different flavor every time. And this provides that standardization. Um, and you, as you said, Tim, where does this start? It starts with DATS relief in that 10 a.m. is critical to making sure we, were, we know where all the apparatus are. Um, so when the need comes up that we need additional apparatus to staff to put into service, that we know where they are. So the DATS relief is really the first step in the mobilization plan. And that is uh, really falls on the apparatus engineers out there to make sure that that's done, but ultimately falls on the company officers to make sure that that's completed daily. Um, and it's not just a, the 10 a.m. If there's a change in the middle of the night, that that, upper, that DATS relief needs to be updated so we know where the rigs are. Um, so we're not sending everybody on the wild goose chase when we do need them to put those in service. So mobilization plan will start with DATS relief. The next piece is standardizing that, you know. Um, yeah, so I think what you're saying is, uh, so this mobilization plan, it's it's really a centralized, you know, plan. You know, be, a lot of times we've decentralized, right? We, we've had personnel. True. Right. Respond back to their stations. Right. Right. And then we're doing this accountability of who's got what. Uh, equipment, what personnel are each station, and it just it just took a lot of time, and it just was For so sure. inefficient. So I like where we're going with this, to where it's a centralized approach. Um, so if we're upstaffing strike teams, if we're upstaffing task forces, or we're just putting a bunch of you know paramedic engines back in service for for coverage, um, that there's a plan that we can refer to, and we're not just hoping someone's going to figure it out the next time we have. I think you said that perfectly. I think, like you said, it was for many years we've decentralized it, and now we were. This is an attempt to centralize it, bring everything to headquarters here, and now equipment, assignments, all those things are housed in one place versus trying to go find them in whatever division or battalion they're in. Uh, one of the uh, other priorities that we're uh, going to be working on uh, this year as well is uh, we stood up a committee last year to look at how we run our structure fires and vegetation fires from a communications standpoint. You know, for a lot of us, um, you know, for, for 30 years or longer, we've we've run our structure fires just on one frequency, right? right? And, and in the early days, you know, it worked. Um, it was three engines, a truck and a BC to a structure fire. Things were fast attack and things weren't as complex. And then as you fast forward over the years, we've added, you know, the working assignment. And that was probably like 10 or 12 years ago. So we added an engine, a truck, and so over time, we've added additional resources, and now you fast forward to our commercial structure fire assignment. We've got four engines, we have three trucks, two battalion chiefs, the heavy rescues going in some areas. And so that initial actions, the radio traffic, in my opinion, in our opinion, is um, one tactical frequency to start off for, for those command elements, and the initial actions for strategy it's and tactics enough. is not enough. Yeah, I agree. So uh, maybe you can kind of talk about the, the committee we stood up last last year, and, and now they're getting ready to bring some some recommendation and some action items sure. on what it's kind of looked like going yeah. forward. So so Chief Covey was tasked, as well as several other chiefs that are involved, and he put a little ad hoc committee to go out and and uh, to see what other agencies that are already really doing this. A lot of metro fire departments um, throughout the state are already doing this. So um, we're a little bit behind from that in that regard. Um, but they went out and, 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 and gathered all the information to see, you know, how do they do it? And, and, and would it be possible 
you know, for us to do it here at OCFA. And so um, they have some preliminary stuff back. They've come up with some ideas of moving to this, go on a command, switch to attack, what that would look like, what calls would that impact, um, as well as we, you and I, Tim, have begun the conversations with the Metronet cities um, and have stood up an ad hoc group over there to have the same discussion. So it wouldn't be just, hopefully it wouldn't just be OCFA doing this. It would be countywide. So there would be, you know, uh, that standardization throughout the county, uh, responding out on that command, moving over to the TAC. So they've done a great bunch of great work. They brought that feedback. Um, we'll we'll get briefed on that. We'll figure out um, what are all the different pieces. What are the logistical issues that come with that? What are the things from OCC uh, that might be an impact to to moving to this moving making this change from uh, the command to the TAC? But I think it's a move in the right direction, and it's it's timely. It comes back kind of to where LA County. Um, is coming out with with their change as well, um, and it really matches where we ultimately, you and I, want to go with our our com- uh, communication policies um, as we move forward. Yeah, so we'll have a lot more here in the near future um, as we kind of move forward with it. But we did want to kind of share that that we recognize, you know, water supplies sometimes aren't heard in those initial actions and some of those initial strategy and tactics um, sometimes don't get communicated because you have multiple people. Um, you know, show, showing up on scene. So more to come on that, but we wanted to let you know that we recognize it and um, uh, see more in, in 2024 here. Another, uh, an area that we've spent some time on over the last few months is, you know, looking at the apparatus committee and the equipment committee um, and looking for ways on how we can help streamline process and so the apparatus committee is, is made up of a lot of our subject matter experts for all the different vehicles, um, the engine companies, the truck companies, uh, the heavy rescue, the hazmat, everything goes through the apparatus committee. But there's a lot of process, right, with, the, uh, with fleet services, how do you purchase the vehicles, uh, the service center. There's a lot of involvement from our sections, and I think um, there's opportunity to streamline some of that process and ensure that organizationally, the priorities for these vehicles are being met and how do we get vehicles timely, get them in service? Um, because we know that um, our, we're way behind with our truck companies. For sure. Right? You know that, that Truck 81, Truck 85. Um, we had a lot of conversation a couple of weeks ago with Chief Whedon Solar, Solar and the Battalion 3 Chiefs on the relief suffin that you know Truck 43 was in. And um, we know that the relief suffins are not relief. They're front lines somewhere. So we know we've got some, um, some age, we have aging fleet and specifically our truck companies. And so we're kind of taking a deeper dive into the apparatus committee who all do great work, but to try to streamline process so we can get things on the road, maybe a little faster. For sure. And I think just the, the operations, um, kind of the big picture, the 30,000 foot level, we just want to make sure that we understand what's going on because so often we get asked questions of, hey, where are these going? What is that? Where is this truck going? Where is this engine going? Where do the next seven go? Um, so we just want some, uh, we're, we don't want to be in the weeds. We want to make sure that we have the information uh, that's accurate. And then we also want to make sure that we're providing the operations priorities and making sure that what you and I see as priorities in terms of apparatus is being heard loud and clear and is being met. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, one of the other committees that I'll, I'll quickly mention, just because you and I had some conversation mm-hmm. a couple of weeks with Chief Doman, is is uh, Chief Doman um, oversees an equipment committee. And so 
uh, maybe about a month ago, two months ago, we asked the division chiefs to kind of do kind of a division needs assessment right. equipment wise. Um, because we recognize as much as we want to be consistent and we want our engine companies, our truck companies to have the same equipment, there's certain areas that might lend itself to have some other items on the engine. And so uh, there's two things in particular that I'll mention is, is one's the, the, the circular saws. And I think you'll recall, you know, years ago, some of our engine companies did have some circular sure. saws, right? Battalion yep. eight, battalion nine. And um, a lot of times it was like, well, don't tell anybody you got the circular saw. Well, that's what we had to do back then. Because you, you were afraid <laughs> somebody's going to take the, the saw off the rig. Um, so um, there's going to be a handful of rigs that we're going to a- approve and, and allow for these circular saws because the uh, the area that they work in, um, they, they need that piece of equipment. And then the other uh, a big item is is for Battalion 3, Battalion 7, the Laro, Laro stuff. the Laro bags, which are essentially low angle rescue bags. Our USAR uh, committee put th- together these uh, these bags, and it's for stations like 15, 18, 42 that work in the canyon areas that typically find themselves uh, on over-the-side right. um, type calls. They need something, right, to go over the side, try to make patient right. access and, and, you know, do a quick assessment. And so the USAR committee has put together these low-angle rescue bags. Uh, so some of those engines are going to see you know, some differing, um, equipment as well. Um, and then we'll follow it up with USAR, um, equipment afterwards and we'll have our USAR, you know, trucks follow up and insist on those calls. But yeah, looking forward to supporting, you know, those other, those other needs and not being so worried about, you know, the, I guess the one-offs really, right? For sure. And I think, you know, to be clear, we still believe in standardization of what's on, you know, all the different apparatus, uh, and that matches from truck to truck to engine to engine. But we do also recognize there are some gaps in our delivery model that, you know, uh, especially up in, you know, division one area where you have a delayed truck. And if you show up to a structure fire with bars on the windows and there's a rescue, there's nothing that engine company, you know, can do to mitigate the bar issue unless we do take uh, this approach. So I think it's a good thing. I think having oversight and having some process to it is, is really important. And I'm excited to see that those things come to fruition and, um, you know, not it ha- not having to be a secret um, you know, or making sure your buddies in the service center don't tell someone that you uh, borrowed something and uh, placed it on your apparatus like the days of old. Right. Uh, the, one of the, um, the last priorities I'll kind of mention um, that we're working on, and, and you guys will see it here very soon, is a command and control handbook. And uh, it's tied to an SOP. And if you've been any, you know, in our promotional processes, you'll know our command and control SOP is really outdated. And um, I've got Chief Summers here, I've got Chief McCann here to speak to it. But really, you know, finding a common operating plan that this, this handbook kind of walks us through and puts us all on the same page um, so that if we are in Battalion 6 and we get a structure fire or when Battalion 8 or Battalion 1 up in the north end, that we're all working from the same playbook and those elements of our strategy, our tactics, what we do on incidents as far as our ICS structure, whether it's single unit identifier, um, the thing that comes up a lot, is this, an, is this interior? interior, is this division alpha, uh, or is this division one? And so um, while all those options are sometimes viable, this kind of just paints the picture and allows for conversation for crews to take a look at. I'd also add, um, you know, it's in alignment with 9025. Yeah, true. It's in alignment with the BC academies, the fire captain academies, um, with 
you know, is, is Neil being the, uh, the training and safety chief for, for a couple of years and then chief summers, you know, being in the promotional battalion chief spot as well, just kind of brings consistency. And now we've got a handbook that we all can, you know, take a look at and utilize us and, and kind of, you know, keep us on the, on the same page. So, um, so before we turn it over to, to, to chief summers and, and chief McCann, any, any comments or thoughts? I would just say, you know, thank you to both, uh, to Mike and Neil. This is, uh, uh, it's been in the works for a long time. Um, they've put a lot of, uh, of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears really into this. I, I'm so glad that we're doing this. It's going to streamline uh, for any of those folks that fall outside of all the captain's academies and BC's academies that are really new to, you know, the last six years. Um, so it's going to give them a tool to be able to get, you know, kind of what is the latest and greatest? What is the playbook, as you, as you said, Tim? And so uh, thank you both for, for your work on this. And um, we'll turn it over to you guys and start with Mike, if you want to give kind of the, the history of it. Sure. Because this whole project was more or less born back in 2012. Uh, Neil and myself were, he was coming out of training, uh, nearly promoted a fire captain. I was coming into training. We were both part of the, uh, the initial revision back in 2012, along with Chief Fedak. And uh, throughout the years, new things had developed. Uh, chief Fedak came in the, as the operations training and safety chief. I came in as operations training and promotions chief, which is the first time that was established back in 2017. And uh, we were instrumentally involved in the fire captain process, the BC process. Neil at the time was then a captain. He was my co-instructor for both the fire captain and BC processes. And then what we wanted to do ultimately is, is develop a command procedures, more or less a handbook to bring out to the rest of the department as a study aid for aspiring fire captains and BCs, but also for those who are already established fire captains and BCs in the curriculum that we're already teaching in the fire captain and BC academy. So we collaboratively worked together, myself, Chief McCann, Chief Fedak, in developing what then was an SOP, which turned into from a 12-page SOP to about an 80-page SOP. So submitted it through uh, executive leadership over the last few years, vetting it through the various training chiefs, and uh, was instructed to make it into a handbook, which was a great idea. So what we have today is a minimally revised uh, command and control command procedures SOP. It's an update from 2012. And then hyperlink to it is a structural fire operations handbook, which is 76 pages. No, well, I was going to say, Mike, I think one advantage of uh, making it a handbook or really the 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 core the meat of of this document by making that a handbook it allows us a lot more be a little more effective to make change um you know the process of an sop can sometimes be lengthy um, by, by by leaving the meat of this as a handbook it allows us to make address those things that need to be addressed quickly uh, versus delaying those things especially if it has to do with fire for ground safety it's almost like what we did with truck company operations 100 percent right i mean we never had a really good sop on truck company operations, it wasn't until, you know, the David Kangs and Dennis Gomez and that original truck academy group, you know, kind of put the truck academy back together, which is probably about 10, 12 years ago also. And then the truck academy handbook, you know, was kind of formulated. Yes, sir. So maybe just kind of briefly kind of go through what the, what we kind of expect out of the handbook and some of the important elements and why we're going to spend uh, quite a bit of time you know, kind of discussing it over the next year, really talking about these elements. Sure. So like I previously stated, it's it's going to give us a common operating picture. It's our playbook. It's meant for our firefighters, our engineers, captains, aspiring captains, and aspiring BCs as, as a reference material to be studied beforehand so that they arrive on scene of an incident 
it's that recognition prime decision making of this is a one, two, three, four, this is a ABCD. I just want to make sure we hit that but until we did this handbook. Our reference material was Firescope 500, and we were always pushing everybody to Firescope 500. We didn't have an internal document besides our PowerPoints and Academy materials to turn to, and this was wow, really the... And so, and so kind of on that point, Neil, so if someone was looking for some study material or, hey, how do I do this? We were pushing them to the Firescope 500 document. Firescope 500 or other now, outside agency documents, and now we have everything internal, OCFA specific. And, and, it all, and it all references back to those documents, but now we actually have our own OCFA command and control handbook that we can reference. And it does tie back to all those documents you referred to. It's streamlined to the OCFA way of how we do business today on a structure fire, um, taking all those documents so that we have a, as a reference, but then making it specific to us that you can timely and quickly research and provide you that information without having to go through all the Firescope site to find it. And I, and I know one of the first things that's going to come up is, hey, if I went to the Captain's Academy last year, I better look at this book because maybe things have changed. To be clear, this is what all of you have been teaching in the Captain's Academy, the BC's Academy, since really 2017, Mike? Uh, it started when we revised the curriculum for the Captain's process, then the BC's process, back to Academy 24. It started in 2018. So 2014, or 2017 was that initial academy where we were doing the assessment center on the front end, then going through an academy. And then we saw a need based off the succession rate of that process to go back, revise, develop an ad hoc for fire captain BC and develop a common curriculum to where we would put them through an academy and then assessment center on the end so that we had a clear standard uh, department wide for our fire captains and BCs. And we've seen the success rate today is roughly 80%, a little bit lower on our BC process, but I think we're getting qualified fire captains and BCs, when they come out of the field, they're fairly standard. Most of us sound fairly the same and it's grown over the years. You know, we've built a better mouse mousetrap, so to speak, um, with the various training chiefs that have come in from the ops side and the promotion side, and then different cadre members that have continued to develop and contribute to this handbook. So largely when we were designing this handbook, we were kind of looking at the NIOSH 5, both uh, Chief McCann and I are, are huge fans of Anthony Castros. He starts off his fire engineering podcast, with the NIOSH 5. And in developing this handbook, we were looking at, okay, what's is the five common denominators for firefighter injury or death? And it's uh, improper risk assessment. So we speak to developing a risk management plan and developing your strategies and objectives and your tactics. Uh, lack of ICS, I believe the Structural Fire Operations Handbook will make it fairly black and white. There's going to be a lot of gray in the realm of managing an incident, but this helps those that are aspiring to be in those positions to, to make a sound decision. Um, accountability, it's huge on the accountability piece from the standpoint, uh, from the IC level, uh, the division or group level, and then how to track, whether it's going to be a 201 or whatever we're moving to in the future with tablet command, which both Chief McCann and I've, I've been able to sit on that committee for the past uh, few months and then use it with this recent BC Academy number 31. Um, in inadequate co communications, which you already discussed, it's going to tie into this policy. And then lack of SOPs or handbooks. That's one of our common denominators for firefighter fatalities or death. And I believe this handbook and this revised command procedures will assist with ensuring the safety of our, of our fire ground, our firefighters that are operating on there. And I just want to reiterate what you just said. And I, I wholeheartedly, both Tim and I agree that the captains and the VCs that we produce today are better than ever. And, it, and that really goes down to the, the fire academy, to the engineers. We do a really good job in preparing our folks to take on those positions. And this is just another element that's going to help uh, leverage that and, and, and make sure that we have successful candidates uh, coming out of 
all of our academies. So, so thank you both for putting this together and putting your hard, hard work into this. And I, I really like the consistency part of it. So we have consistency on the way we operate. Uh, what I'm hoping for as we go forward into 2024 is that this handbook and this discussion goes back to some decentralized training with the battalions and, you know, talk about, you know, um, what comes up a lot is when do we keep things single unit identifier? When do I make a division uh, or group? You know, listening to uh, even yesterday, we were listening to the Sims that you guys were doing from the BC Academy and you guys gave a candidate, you know, a Rick scenario. And we talked about, you know, just how they they asked for a, a you know, a lunar. Right. And we started, you know, and having this conversation. So we're hoping that, you know, Cruz will have a conversation about this, too. But really, are we really going to ask, you know, for a lunar? It's it's really those are types of questions that we should be asking on that on that incident the next time we have, we get a Rick activation, not just ask for quote unquote a lunar and think that the firefighter that is down, trapped, lost, or otherwise is going to you know go through what actually the L stands for, and and so that only comes with you know the training and the continued sets and reps and the and the uh, more that we can train to this, practice with it, the better it's going to be you know out on the fire ground. Chief Sher and I are going to do an all-hands chief officer meeting February 2nd. And we're going to have a lot of discussion about this handbook and the command and control elements that go with this so that we're, we are consistent and that each of them are consistent in their message for the battalions and the drills that they're going to conduct and hopefully have more conversation with each of you in after actions on real incidents, et cetera. I wanted to build off what, what you were saying. I yeah, think one ahead. of the things about this handbook is um, it wasn't that long ago as a brand new captain, depending on the battalion I was working in that day was how we were going to do business that day. And it was kind of all over the map and very difficult to kind of get my feet under me in my first couple of years as a captain working in with different BCs and how they wanted to do business. And what this handbook has done and the policy in these last couple last academies for the last six years have really bring a kind of a standardization. A 952 now sounds the same whether you're in Battalion 8 or Battalion 6 or Battalion 2. You can hear, you can hear the same information. Uh, the ICS standardization, I know as I'm rolling in and I hear that we're going to a strip mall fire, I, I already know where those first couple of units are going to go, what they're going to be called and how I'm going to be talking with them. And it really kind of sets that standard for all of us. And so that's what's exciting about it. And now, now at the battalion level, when we're doing that decentralized training to have a framework to work off of, this isn't just my opinion. It isn't Chief Summer's opinion. It's coming down from the organization. This is how we're going to do business. And now when we go across battalions, we're all speaking the same language. Well said, Neil. Yeah, it's really good. And um, and Mike, maybe at the uh, kind of go into, I really like what you guys did at the, the back of this handbook on, you know, maybe talk about the six building types and then how you guys laid out these simulator pictures and basically going from like a single family residence to something more complex and it's all laid out. Maybe just kind of walk through sure. what that looks like. And it helps with the consistency and what we're talking about so that we know what we're looking at when we go to an apartment or something else. So when we, we built the uh, PowerPoints for the fire captain BC process, we developed with the six building types in mind. I can't say that that's something that Neil or I created. It was, it was people before us. Uh, but largely we wanted to make it to simplify it in some respects, but we start with residential single family dwellings, multi-family residential, retail strip centers, light industrial strip centers. We go to commercial, uh, commercial mid-rises, big box, and then high-rise. And so when we went back and redeveloped 
this handbook based off the feedback we got from executive leadership, I know that we all learn differently. Um, I want to create a handbook with just all writing. I wanted a lot of good, valid illustrations to where uh, they can see a picture, they can see where the fire problem is, they can identify that building type, type based off those six building types. And then there's a, a recommended ICS structure for that. So it goes into uh, what initial uh, size it may sound, initial 952, uh, what that ordering would sound like based off those conditions presented in that picture. And then going into the follow-up, uh, what their strategy is, what their objectives are to include water supply, their two out, or any other uh, major hazard that's encountered. And then it goes through a basic unit placement as far as priorities based off that fire problem, whether it's a victim, whether it's just a structure fire, et cetera. And then in the end, it goes through the tactical considerations, things to consider when you have a single family dwelling with a fire with an exposure versus just your standalone uh, 2000 square foot house with a fire in the center, which is maybe interior versus a division alpha or the differences between a light industrial strip center and that you got some time because you typically have firewalls between your exposure units versus a, a retail strip center where you may have a common attic to where you're creating those divisions early or getting at least units to check on the exposures on the Bravo and Delta side. So I think it's a great handbook that will illustrate to, like I said, that, that firefighter that just gets straight out of the academy. He wants to try to understand the playbook of why he's going to the Bravo exposure or why he's going to the second floor to check for attic extent, extension, et cetera. I really see those tactical um, concepts in there. I really like your keys to success on our common fire problems that we have. You think about these six buildings, these are the common fires that we go on. It doesn't cover everything, but it covers a solid 95% of the fire problems that we go on in Orange County on a day-to-day -day basis and how we're going to be successful on those incidents. No, really, really good. Yeah. And um, some of the uh, conversation that we're going to have at the all hands meeting is um, we've had, it seems like we had quite a bit of, for second and third alarm fires. You know, Chief Medina had one down in um, Battalion 7. Jason Taylor had one. Uh, you and Brian Roberts uh, had one in Battalion 4. Um, I just listened to a two alarm no fire way. up in Cyprus and um, and they are consistent. And, the, and then the one today was, was really dynamic, right? With a burn patient and then uh, someone trapped inside. Um, and listening to the first due company officer work through taking command and, and doing a really good job with uh, initial actions. And so I think I think it's working. And I think this is kind of the, the last piece to put it in play. And now it's how do we how do we take this in 2024 and do a lot more training with it? It's definitely not an SOP that, you know, Chief Sher and I are going to just push out and, you know, just another SOP that, you know, fills the binder. You know, we want this to be something that has a lot more discussion um, so that we can continue to train and do all those things that make us successful. Yeah, you would hope that the the handbook lives on the coffee table and that's an easy reference. Quick, let's talk about this. And um, I love, Mike, that you came from the instructor perspective of the multi, multiple intelligence and making sure that, you know, that gets addressed. And uh, I tell you, when you were talking about it, my mind's running wild, like, okay, how do you take this to the next level? And how do you bring AI and interactivity into this and making it, you know, kind of a, whether it's testing or just practice to get there or just staying current. Yeah. If you look at the emergency technology uh, projects and issues are going on with Chief Fetterman right now, it, both Neil and I have been both involved in that with the tablet command piece, and then even incorporating the tablet command with our future promotional yeah. processes. Um, it's pretty cool as far as the intelligence at your fingertips in relation to when I first promoted back in 2016 to battalion chief to where we had paper maps and I didn't know the DPA, but now in real life information, knowing where I'm at, 
um, the building type, looking at Google Earth and and trying to identify in route, not to tr try to pregame it, but at least have that slide tray in my head is now this might be a one, two, three or ABCD based off intelligence. And then again, with, you know, the ECC duty officers feeding some of that information in route with AI cameras and everything else. It's pretty exciting. No, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And as, as everybody knows, Chief Fantasy is, is a fan of, of technology and moving things forward and, uh, you know, bringing the right tools to help us all do our job better. So yeah, thank you both for putting this together and putting your, your uh, really a labor of love. And I think just to summarize, if, you know, if you've been in a, in an, a captain's academy or a captain's process and a VC process and been in the academy, this handbook is going to be very familiar to you. And I would encourage everybody that doesn't fall in that, that window or anybody that's looking to promote uh, here in the future, this is a document that you need to make sure that you're very familiar with. It, it is about fire ground safety, it is about common operating picture and making sure that we establish those foundations as we arrive on on these incidents. So so thank you both. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks again, uh, uh, Neil and Mike coming in. Appreciate all the work you guys have done and um, looking forward to 2024. It's already starting off to be a uh, full list uh, for us, but uh, again, we appreciate everybody uh, tuning, tuning in and listening, and uh, we'll see you next month on next podcast.